0: Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at The Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today.
1: All right, everybody, Uh, let's go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews 3, if you haven't already. Hebrews 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end message title tonight is greater than moses but before we look specifically in there a little bit more let's uh let me tell you a little story former president bush was walking through an airport when he saw an old man with white hair a long white beard wearing a long white robe and holding a staff so president bush walked up to the man who was staring at the ceiling and said excuse me sir aren't you moses The man stood perfectly still and continued to stare at the ceiling, saying nothing. Again, President Bush asked a little louder this time, "'Excuse me, sir, aren't you Moses?' Again, the old man stared at the ceiling motionless without saying a word. So President Bush tried a third time, even louder, "'Excuse me, sir, aren't you Moses?' Again, no movement or words from the old man. He continued to stare at the ceiling. One of the president's aides asked him if there was a problem and the president said, "'Either this man is deaf or he's extremely rude. I have asked him three times if he was Moses and he has not answered me yet. To which the man still staring at the ceiling finally replied to the aide, I can hear him and yes, I am Moses. But the last time I spoke to a bush, I spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. (laughs) Isn't that great? Well, today as we continue in the book of Moses, book of Hebrews, I should say, that's funny, we're gonna see that Moses was pretty great but Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, folks, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but I have already come to love the author of the book of Hebrews. Have you noticed he just can't stop talking about how great Jesus is? Instead of a standard greeting to the saints, hello, how are you, grace and peace, he jumped right in and spoke about how great Jesus is. He told us that Jesus is greater than the prophets. (laughs) He was the one the prophets' writings pointed to. He told us that Jesus is greater than the angels and that their job is to minister to those of us who will inherit, who have inherited salvation. He told us that Jesus is greater than the first Adam, Adam and sons. He's the only perfect man as the second Adam who ever lived, never committing a single sin. No sin nature, no sin choices for Jesus. He told us that Jesus is greater than death. And its author, Satan, having destroyed their power, the power of Satan, the power of death, through his death and resurrection. I like the author of Hebrews' style. I love the fact that he can't stop talking about Jesus. You know, too many of us even approach church as another way to think more about ourselves and our problems. Uh, say things like Danny I have all these things that I'm worried about in my life and when I turn on the television the preacher there gives me a lot of self-help tips but all you have been able to talk about since we started Hebrews is how great Jesus is (laughs) you ever feel like that well some people do I I know that when you preach expositorially like I do you come to the next thought that's in the scriptures and frankly scripture makes it more about the glory of God than it does about us trying to find self-help tips Uh, As sinners, we need to turn to God and He, through His power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the strength we need to live lives that glorify Him. We've got all things in Him in the direction the Word gives us pertaining to life and to godliness. I want to give you some of the greatest self-help advice right here at the start of another message about how great Jesus is. Here it is. First point, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the power of Christ to set a heart free. When we place ourselves first, there is constant demeaning. But when Jesus is king, life takes on new meaning. So that's a little poem I had for you there. And uh, let me read it again. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the power of Christ to set a heart free. When we place ourselves first, there is constant demeaning. But when Jesus is king, life takes on new meaning. That doesn't mean that... uh, uh, you know, Christ doesn't improve our self-esteem, but really, it's more about Christ-esteem. Uh, I've told you before about gospel math. You know, I was a zero before Christ saved me. When Christ saved me, He's a ten, and when He came into my heart and life, I feel like a ten. I've got Christ inside. But if you could take Christ away somehow, I'd lose that ten. I'd be nothing all over again. And so I walk through life as a ten now, not feeling a, a, like a, I'm a zero uh, in those days of lostness and poor self-esteem but really it's not about me esteem at all it's the power of christ in me and through me and my forgiveness in him and how he has given me a new identity formed around the truth of who i am in him and uh, that is so powerful and so that can help in ways self-help stuff focused on more self 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 Uh, often can't do well let's exposit this text our text today we find that jesus is greater than moses from the first verse there in chapter three we want to see that blessed are the partakers blessed are the partakers look what it says there therefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling here in verse one we find our identity is in jesus christ We're now holy brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are partakers of the heavenly calling. Doesn't that give life new meaning to know that we're part of the family of God? God's the Father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got an inheritance like Ephesians 1 says. Uh, Here it says we're partakers of the heavenly calling. The author of Hebrews is calling to our mind what has become true of us now that we belong to Jesus through the new birth. Well, what is true of us? We've already seen some great things in Hebrews. In chapter 1, 3, we learned that if you're a believer, God has purged our sins. In chapter 1, verse 14, we found out that we have inherited salvation. We won't go to hell when we die. We've inherited salvation. In chapter 2, verse 11, we found out we're being sanctified, that God is with us and cleaning us up and conforming us to the image of Christ as we seek his face and obey him. In chapter two, verse 11, we found out we're part of Christ's family. He has identified with us. We've got his name with us, we're Christians. Chapter two, verse 15, we found out that we are released from the fear of death, the very fear of death that used to enslave us, we're released from that. In chapter two, verse 18, we learn that Christ himself gives us aid when we are tempted. So in Christ, we are part of a new family and we have a new purpose. So if you're a Christian here this evening, understand the world didn't give Jesus to you and the world can't take Jesus away. And there's excitement in that. Like the old B.J. Thomas song, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. The world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. No, God gave us himself through the new birth experience. He put his spirit in our hearts and lives and we have an inheritance that we cannot lose. So we're partakers of the heavenly calling. We find that that about our identity. And it is so neat that that's the case. Blessed are the partakers. Well, in the second part of verse 1, he tells us to consider Jesus our apostle and high priest. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. So chapter 1 started by speaking of the prophets. And here Jesus is called the apostle. Now, there's great similarity between the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament. Both told the truth about God centered on the promise of the coming Christ or the Christ who has come. The Old Testament prophets told us what would be true when the Christ came and Jesus fulfilled all they said he would be. The New Testament apostle's job was to instruct Christ's disciples on all that was true now that Christ had fulfilled his mission on earth. So here, when we're told to consider Jesus as the apostle of our confession, we're considering the truths that he taught and modeled for us. And there are so many wonderful things, aren't there? The truths he taught and modeled for us. I think about how Jesus will never ask you or me to do anything he didn't personally model. So as he began his public life and ministry, he went to John the Baptist and was baptized. Now, we get, John the Baptist was saying, wait a second, you know, I'm, getting, I'm baptizing people upon confession of sin and uh, knowledge that the only way to be clean is to turn to God. Jesus had no sin, he didn't need to be made clean. So he didn't get baptized as a testimony to having his sins forgiven. He got baptized because he was gonna model for us what he was gonna ask us to do. That's the kind of servant leader that he is. He doesn't ask you to do anything he didn't personally model. Jesus calls us to prayer, and the scriptures record him spending nights in prayer, him teaching his disciples to pray, him constantly modeling interactive relationship with the heavenly father. Uh, Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. When he went to the cross and died on our sin, died for our sins on that cross, he certainly modeled for us suffering for higher purposes. And when he says, "Take up our cross," it means if there, if it's going to advance his kingdom, we're willing to embrace suffering rather than take the easy way out of things. And so, I love the fact that he's the apostle of our confessions, considering the truths that he taught and modeled for us. So. He's also the high priest of our confession, we see here. He's the high priest of our confession, not only the apostle of our confession, but the high priest of our confession. He has made it possible for us to know God by serving as our go-between between the perfect father and sinners such as you and I. As, he, as Paul wrote, you know, there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man. Now we have access through his blood to a relationship that would have been impossible for. Now I love what the author of Hebrews is doing here. For 2000 years, Christians have been meditating on how Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. So having established that Christ is the perfect prophet and priest, now he's going to establish that Christ is also the perfect ruler. He's the perfect ruler. And he does it by comparing Jesus with the, with the best ruler the world ever knew. Who's that? Well, it's Moses. Uh, Moses is uh, an amazing example. I, I really, uh, sometimes I just give thanks for how long the Old Testament is and how it gives us long extended portraits of the development of a man, the development of leaders, And one that that is certainly true of as much as anybody else in the Old Testament is the leader Moses, the great deliverer out of Egypt of God's people, doing it on behalf of God. Well, so the rest of our time, we're going to be looking at how verses 2 through 6 show us that Jesus Christ is greater than Moses. First, let's look at two ways that Jesus and Moses are similar. The first one is they were both appointed to their role. Verse 2 says... Christ Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Do you remember the time that Moses met God at the burning bush? You may remember God didn't let Moses out of the assignment, even though Moses didn't want the assignment. He said, please send someone else. And you may have a calling on your life and you're saying, oh God, please send somebody else. So God had a purpose and plan for Moses' life, and Moses had to fulfill his appointment with destiny. And Jesus had an appointment also, and he knew it. He spoke of how his hour was coming. Early on in the Gospels, he says, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come, and usually, uh, that they, they were pressing him, you know, about who he was as the Messiah and the possible ruler of Israel, and he always delayed. He worked more miracles. He taught his disciples more things. You know, one thing I appreciate about Jesus is he never used being God for to his own personal advantage. He could have. You know, if I was uh, if I had the if I was the God Man on Earth, I would probably make myself a Big Mac every day. I just make one appear and eat it. You know but that wouldn't be good for me. (laughs) Jesus never used his being deity for personal advantage. He worked miracles to prove he was the Messiah. He, and those were all very, so many of them very helpful for people, you know, as he healed the blind, as he uh, helped the sick, as he raised the dead, as he cast demons out of people. Obviously, those were things that showed he was Lord of the physical realm. He could make body parts that weren't working work again. He could walk on water. Uh, He could feed 5,000 people with just a kid's sack lunch of a few fish and loaves. Um, He was Lord of the spiritual realm. He could cast out sins. He claimed the authority on earth to, uh, uh, he cast out demons, sorry. He claimed the authority and he had the authority on earth to forgive sins. Uh, So he was Lord over the um, uh, physical realm. He was Lord over the spiritual realm. He was also Lord over the moral realm. He claimed to have the authority to correct Old Testament doctrine, you know. Um, but he never used his deity uh, to um, for his own advantage other than the time or two that he was delaying uh, he, you know he escaped a crowd that could have killed him and that was probably miraculously done and he did that he did that uh, you know really so that he could continue to pour everything that his disciples needed to hear before his uh, time going to the cross actually came. But uh, how much different than us, you know, who would use that advantage for our own gain and if we were had uh, the ability to work miracles and those type things. Jesus had an appointment just as Moses had an appointment. That's the point we're coming back to. Jesus came to do for sinners what they could not do for themselves. And don't uh, forget, you have an appointment from God also. Uh, It uh, can be a big thing. It can be small things along the way. Things you clearly uh, are impressed that God wants you to do and to be about. Uh, For me, that was a calling to ministry. I thought at one time it might involve missions as we continued to clarify. Uh, It wound up being uh, youth ministry and pastoral ministry. My life's work has always come back to three things, the love of teaching and preaching God's word, uh, the love of... uh, leading people to Christ here and all around the world, especially working with uh, students, you know, children and youth. I love doing that. I've learned to love interacting with people all up through the ages. So teaching God's word, working with the generations. And then for me, uh, heart for missions, both supporting it, giving to make it happen, going on 12, 13 mission trips over the years and uh, being a tireless supporter for missions, both where I am Uh, the city and state I'm in, the country I'm in, but around the world as well, and giving particular concern uh, for, um, you know, just to be personally involved in Christ's great commission. So we all have that appointment, whether we're pastors or missionaries or lay people that uh, work jobs to be able to give and go when we can and pray about things. Uh, But God has us you know, other assignments for sometimes, too. Sometimes there's an appeal made for workers in a church, Bible school, Sunday school, deacons or whatever, and uh, you get the impression that you're supposed to say yes. You're supposed to put your hat in the ring and see if it winds up being that you fill the need. It's based on gifting and talenting. and ta- talenting. It's based on your spiritual gifts. It's based on your talents. But the number one ability is availability. And, um, you know, there are people in the church that do probably more than God has called them to. And there's a lot of people in church that do less than God has called them to. We need to say yes when God gives us those appointments. Um, It starts with the appointment for salvation. For the non-believer, the appointment is to repent of sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Then after you become a Christian, it's the appointment for baptism. It's saying, hey, I need to testify publicly to my faith through believer's baptism as the saints have done going all the way back to the early church. It may be submission to a biblical truth. Uh, That usually happens where you're reading the scriptures, you're hearing a sermon, and all of a sudden you hear something that you're not doing, you think you might need to do or be about. Sometimes it's forgiving somebody. And you come to understand that Christ fully expects you to forgive, and then you uh, struggle with that because of the way somebody hurts you, and you process that. Sometimes you gotta need to talk to somebody first, a pastor, a friend in the church, but uh, ultimately, you'll need to come to that place where you forgive others, even as Christ has forgiven you. You always do the vertical part of forgiveness, where before God, you choose not to hate that person anymore, hold on to grudge, and then the horizontal part is when that person asks you to forgive them you say i forgive you uh, and sometimes you're the one that initiates that conversation with them sometimes they initiate it with you let me give the caveat there that it involves some sort of abuse in the past talk to a pastor or a godly person about that so they can help you figure out exactly what that looks like in your situation it may be submission to another biblical truth. I know all Christians generally struggle somewhere early on with uh, their money and they come across the doctrine of tithing and stewardship. And, you know, and, and the radical Christian teaching is that God owns 100% of what he's entrusted to you to steward. And so you need to think of, you know, of all of it in terms of giving an account to him in stewardship. And if you, like me, believe the scriptures in places like Matthew 23, 23 do call for tithing. And uh, you start with your local church, then uh, if you haven't been giving much of anything at all, uh, then that can be a real struggle. It can take some reorienting. Sometimes you need to just start moving that direction with 2%, 5%, 7.5%, 10%, you know. But I uh, have come to not only appreciate the scriptures, Old Testament and new about tithing, but to me, it's really the starting place. You start there and you keep on giving from there. Uh, but that's something, there's an appointment for you and you've got to say yes. It may be accepting his call to get further training for the ministry he has for you. Um, and so uh, if you are care enough to be a teacher, then you need to care enough to uh, invest in uh, maybe some of the weekend workshops, a Saturday workshop. If you're called to preach, it's a good thing to get the seminary training, to sharpen the ax before you take it to the trees. So Jesus was similar to Moses because they were both appointed to their role. Another similarity was they were both faithful in their role. And we that in verse 2 and verse 5. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Oh, may that be said of us. Moses had a tough assignment from the Lord, and he went into trying to get out of it. (laughs) And that's how it has been for some of us. But an interesting thing happened with Moses when you study his beautiful life in uh, Exodus uh, through Deuteronomy. Some beautiful things you see happen in the development of Moses the man by God. One at a time, God brought things into Moses' life. And each time Moses was faithful, he learned a little more about trusting God and a little, bit, a little uh, more about Moses. Through the 10 plagues, we see Moses learn that what God says he can do, he can do. God made every one of those plagues come to pass. Early on, when the people complain, when they complain to Moses, Moses complained to God. <laughs> but as he grows, when the people complain, He prays to God. So he is beginning to think, huh, they are in the flesh. I am your man, God, and I'm starting to think about things the way you and your words talk about thinking about things. Along the way, he learns not to do it all himself, but to prioritize what he's supposed to do and to delegate to other other God-called people what they're supposed to do. And as he saw God lead the people through difficult circumstances, he became more and more concerned that they learn to give this great God glory and their trust and obedience. It's beautiful, the development of the man. Over time, we see Moses develop a heart for God's truth, but also God's mercy. When his sister and brother, Miriam and Aaron, criticized his leadership, Moses interceded for them and God forgave them. Later, when God volunteered to wipe the people out and start over with just Moses, Moses begged God not to for the sake of his glorious name being exalted among the heathen. What a humble man of God. I don't know about you, uh, but I would have been tempted to say, yeah, this burden, these people are a burden." And you're going to make my name great and start over just with me. Well, I can quantify that. I can handle that. I, uh, I, I these people complain; they don't always obey. And uh, but Moses, as he was growing, was more and more taking God's side and his heart for mercy and his heart for love. And so. He says, God, wait a second. What will the heathen think? What will they say about your name if you who brought these people out of Egypt just destroy him here? So God got to see God's power. Moses got to experience God's heart. He was growing a relationship with him. And as that relationship grew and Moses continued to be meek and humble himself before the Lord, God raised him up to be a mighty man of God. The same will happen for you and I if we remain humble, not proudful. The Bible says, humble yourself from the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And Jesus, even though he was God, there was a sense in which that happened with Jesus as well. Uh, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think about Moses, how for 40 years, he led those people withstanding the elements, the rebellions, and along the way, God turned faithful Moses into the second greatest leader the world has ever known. As you know, Moses was not perfect. And a sin in anger and pride later cost him getting to lead the people into the promised land. But the overall story of Moses is a man who was faithful, faithful in little things, and God kept adding greater responsibilities. And he does that for us too as he develops us in the the faith. Moses was pretty great. But Jesus is greater than Moses. If Moses was 90% faithful, Jesus was 100% faithful. He's so amazing, isn't he? As our king, he has every right to make and enforce expectations of us. But amazingly, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself has not done. I gave you several examples of that earlier. And because he is modeled being the perfect subject, he's the perfect king. Adrian Rogers used to say, you'll never be over what God wants you over until you're under what God wants you under. And Jesus, when he was on earth, modeled perfect submission to the Heavenly Father. He had always existed in equality with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He, in John 10:30, says, I and the Father are one. In John 17, he says, Father, I'm looking forward to returning to the glory I shared with you from before the foundation of the world. In John 8:24, he said, Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. Verse 3 says, he created all things. All things were created through him. You don't get any higher as God than Jesus is God and creator of all things. Um, And yet he left heaven's glories. The Son of God came down. God the Son, the Son of God came down, became the Son of Man. He humbled himself while he was here. He modeled perfect submission to his heavenly Father. And all the submission language of Jesus toward the Father in the Gospels is about that. Modeling for us what it means to... Perfectly yield to God and to uh, follow Him and to seek His will and to glorify Him. Jesus modeled all that for us. And then when He went back to heaven, He went back with more than He came down from heaven with. He came down as the Son of God, God the Son. When He went back to heaven, He took glorified human flesh with Him after His resurrection, at His ascension. He took glorified human flesh with Him to heaven. He's the son of God, son of man. He'll return from there. And because he was the perfect subject that modeled servant leadership for us, uh, then um, he's the greatest of all time. And when he struggled with his upcoming death in the garden, he faithfully submitted to the Father's will as we need to. We'll never be greater than Jesus. And the good news is we don't have to be. Look again at verse 6. So just as Moses was faithful in his house, Christ as a son is over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our hope, the hope firm to the end. Are you holding fast to Jesus? Are you holding fast your confidence in him? Are you holding the hope firm to the end? We need to hold fast our confidence. So what does that mean? It means King Jesus is looking at you from up ahead on a narrow path that he's placed you on and he's saying to you, follow me. And what do you say in response? Yes, Lord, and you do. Yes, Lord, and you do. Jesus is greater than Moses and he is our perfect example but he's more than that. He's our faithful leader and he calls us to follow him, to serve him in this lifetime We're part of his family through faith, and we're going to be with him forever in all things glorifying him. He is the greatest. In this case, we saw he's greater than Moses, but he's the absolute greatest. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today.